0: It is so good to be with you this morning. Greetings and praise the Lord for the songs that we sang this morning, the time of communion to consider once again afresh the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hearts being reignited about the passion of what the Lord has done for us. May we not forget in the Lord's kindness and graciousness He has given these these uh, signs for us to partake in, and they point us back to Him. And so I hope your heart has been encouraged. Thank you, Pastor Hiro, for leading us in that. Let me give you a few announcements uh, before I begin. First of all, if you're, if you're new with us, if you're a guest with us today, I want to thank you for being with us, and uh, we're, we're grateful you're here. And we would love to welcome you Um, and greet you, and we have two welcome tables in the back, and so please uh, feel free to go back. We have a gift for you, and so um, please grab that gift, and we'd love to get to know you better there. Um, In the life of our church, there's a few things that are really important, and one of them is we have quarterly business meetings, and uh, we have a business meeting next week, and so I want to make sure I highlight that for you all to know. It'll be during the equip hour and there'll be two major considerations for us to uh, uh, vote on. First is we're going to be extending the current budget uh, that typically goes from uh, October to September, and we'll be actually moving that to January to December. I think I said, they say that right, Ken. thank you. Um, and so what we're going to be asking for you to move that, so our fiscal year and um, And also what we'll do is we'll have three months extending our current budget for three months until our next business meeting to approve the 2024 budget. So that will be next week. And then also we have, Pastor Sam has talked about a pastoral position that we are looking to, a strategic position that we're looking to bring onto our team. And this is a pastor of evangelism, discipleship. He'll be over missions and gospel outreach. And the big burden for this is that our church, we will grow in the mark of a healthy church to be a reproducing church. There are marks of a healthy church. And one of those marks is how are we reproducing? How are we making disciples? One of the most fundamental calls of Christ was that we are fishers of men. And so... This is a strategic position that will engage us and help us exercise in that way. And so I pray that you will, um, as we consider that next week, um, we'll move forward with that as well. Well, it is a rich blessing uh, to be preaching to you this morning. Uh, I'm so thankful for Pastor Sam and allowing me to preach, um, Kind, being so kind to ask me. He was originally, the original reason he asked me to be preaching this morning was he was going to be in Monterey, Mexico, to be preaching at a seminary that he started 25 years ago, Help Start, Um, and they asked him to come back and preach for that uh, service, that 25-year celebration, and I am uh, just considering that reality is one to just give praise to the Lord over One of what the Lord is doing in Mexico and raising um, men and women for gospel ministry in uh, South America and Central America. And we rejoice in that. But also in the reality how Pastor Sam has been used to start seminaries around the world. And now he's here in Easley, South Carolina and excited to see what the Lord will do with him here. And so that was exciting reality, but this week he began to feel unwell, and so he contacted his doctors, and they said, hey, you better not go. So he is home resting, and we can pray for him this week that he will feel better, and we'll be excited to have him back uh, preaching. A few weeks ago, I I believe it was August 6th, I started a series, it was a two-part series, uh, that I was supposed to preach back to back, it was uh, Colossians chapter three, one to four, and the intention was they were going to be back to back, but due to in a family emergency that we had in our life, Pastor Sam graciously stepped in, so a lot of flexibility, a lot of changing, but we are taking one step at a time now, let me review for you that because today we 're going to be in Colossians chapter three, five to ten, so turn your Bibles there, Colossians three verses five to ten, but it would be um it, just, it, it would be not right for me to just jump into that passage without reviewing very briefly what we looked at in Colossians 3, 1 to 5, because all the truths that we'll look at from 5 to 10 are rooted in, in verses 1 to 4. The title of that message was Our True Identity, Discovering the Beauty in the Life of the Believer's Union with Christ. And if you don't mind, let me read that, those verses for you, beginning in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We saw that we have been united with Christ in the most intimate way, and this glorious union gives us actually a new identity in Christ. We're no longer finding our old identity in how we were born, and as Romans 5 says, that we were born in Adam, Now we're actually rooted in Christ, in all the riches that Christ has for us. And so what this means for us in our relationship to sin is that the authoritative power of sin has been broken. Paul says actually in verse 3, You have died. We no longer have to obey the beckoning call of sin. The authority of sin has been destroyed. We also saw that our new identity directs our affections. We looked at two commands found in verse one and two. It says, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things above. The affections and consequently what we think about matters. And and they should be about the gospel and heavenward implications. And so I suppose it would be possible for someone to go out of that message and hearing about how we've broken sin, the authority's broken, we've died with Christ, so we've died to sin. This is fantastic. And and I suppose you go out of that sermon thinking, great, I'm united with Christ. The battle's over. After all, Paul said, "I'm, I'm dead to sin. The authoritative power's broken. And that week you find out that Sin still holds this strange power. It actually still functions as this formidable foe. Imagine with me a couple that's preparing to be married. Some of you just got married. And hopefully this isn't you. But maybe this couple comes in for premarital counseling. And when they come to the topic of conflict there's occasionally a couple that believes they actually will have zero conflict. A disagreement they will have. There'll never be a disagreement that they will have. They're gonna be completely on the same page all the time. And every couple that's ever existed before them has got it wrong, but they are gonna have it right. And so you sit in the counseling session and they're very confident of this, and you just say, "You well, know, why don't we get have another session a couple weeks after you guys get married? We'll just do a, a post-marriage counseling session. And before long, conflict arises in the marriage. Now, what, 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 what point am I trying to make? They begin to realize that even though they love each other very, very much, they still need to be prepared for the conflict and learn to address the conflict When it comes, I suppose if someone were to read Colossians 3, 1-4, they may have the mindset of a newly married couple in reference to sin. You know, once we're Christian, then surely the struggle is over. However, the passages does not stop in Colossians 3, 1-4. It continues. And so that is Paul's flow of thought for us this morning. And so let us begin reading in verse 5, and I'll read all the way to verse 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now... You must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This morning, I want to ask two questions for us. Two questions, and there's these, these questions. What is the lifestyle resulting from our union in Christ, and how do we put sin to death? What is the lifestyle resulting from our union with Christ, and how do we put sin to death? And, and after reading that passage, it may be very tempting for some of us to read this passage and think, phew, I'm going to be okay. This sermon is not going to have to touch me this morning. I didn't see any sins that I'm really struggling with there. I am okay. Well, I think the implication of these questions are for all of us this morning. Maybe, especially that second question, how do we put sin to death? And, and, and maybe you are an elder. Maybe you're a community group leader. Maybe you're a deacon. Maybe you're a ministry leader. Maybe um, uh, a mom and a dad with, with with children. Maybe you have a role of leadership where you work or you teach. And maybe there's a student that will come up to you at some point and they'll ask you, a child will come up to you at some point, a church member will come up to you at some point and they'll ask this question, How do I overcome this sin? How do I stop sinning? How can this be broken in my life? What would you say to them? In fact... We all should have an answer to be able to give an individual that might ask these questions because this is vital for our one another ministry as we grow together in Jesus Christ. And so I think for all of us this morning, it is vital for all of us to look at this passage and ask these questions for us as it has has been for me this week. Well, let's get the lay of the land. What is the lifestyle resulting from our union with Christ. There's a lifestyle, it's very clear. Paul talks about it in verse five and eight. And he says in verse five, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. This should be understood as the response to our union with Christ. Why do we put to death? Because we died in verse three. We don't reverse the order. Reversing the order would be perilous for us. It would be terrible for us. We are united to Christ, and that is a glorious reality. And because of that glorious union that we have with Christ, we then put off sin in our lives. And first, the first category of sin that Paul talks about are the sins of idolatry that are to be put to death. He says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul names five different items And these sins reveal a person that has this unchecked hunger for pleasure. It goes from this very specific sin of sexual immorality and it begins to branch off in different facets to speak about desires, covetousness, greed. All these are amplifying the unchecked desires of someone's heart. And he brings this to the realm of idol worship where he says that this is a person who's a worshiper. This person actually has a problem about his worship. This person is actually worshiping the wrong thing, the wrong person. We're made for worship, but this person is worshiping something counterfeit. And he points out that all the sins are connected to this uncontrolled desire and hoping that these sins do something for this person. We, we sin Because it's wrapped up in a hope. It's wrapped up in a hope. You look at all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, when Adam and Eve sinned. There was a a hope that was found in Eve's desire as she plucked the fruit, as she was listening to the words of the serpent, and she ate the fruit. The The hope was that she would really know. She would really have this understanding. She would be like God. And here, our sin is amplified in, in, in our own lives with a hope. And this is why in verse 1 and 2, Paul commands the Colossian believers to seek the things that are above and to set their minds on things that are above because our affections need to be heavenward. But not only is he talking about sins of idolatry that are to be put to death, but he's talking about sins of speech to be put away. Look at verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. The point is, what we say matters. Matthew 12, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He rebukes them, and he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in your heart comes out your speech, out your mouth. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, I I didn't mean to say that? Well, maybe what they said surprised them. But the reality is, it did come from somewhere. It came from their hearts. It came from what was going on inside. And so these words are really important to consider. And so, so, so Paul says, put them away from you. Our speech actually matters. But then let me highlight, we're not going to be able to get to it this morning. My two-part sermon, I think, is going to turn to a three-part sermon. But, but then Paul talks about signs of love in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. And he talks about being compassionate, having a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And all this is encapsulated on the umbrella of love. And so Paul has put together this list of sexual sins that destroy relationships. He's he's shown how speech breaks relationships and then there's these qualities that actually build relationships. And so the central idea for us to carry as we look at this passage about what is the lifestyle is that there are qualitative markers there's evidence of change. There's evidence of someone that's been united with Christ. And our response to this union is the 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 is is a lifestyle that is what Paul is describing. But the how do we put sin to death is so important. It's so important. You know, it's it's one thing if if um someone were to give, if I were to give someone the ingredients in order to make a cheesecake, and they, you know, say, hey, I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and and they have all the ingredients in front of them, but it's an entirely different thing to actually say, how do you bake that cheesecake? It's, it's, Drastically different because they might start putting things together that aren't supposed to be put together yet and do things, you know, putting that thing in the oven and it's at the wrong temperature. And before you know, that thing is just cooked to a crisp. And so, the what question is very different than the how question. So, how do we put sin to to death? Well, I think Paul gives us some, some points for us to look at in this passage. First of all, he says, I think we can see uh, we need to know the nature of sin. What is sin like? And I think first of all, we should understand that sin is lurking. Sin is lurking. What does he say in verse five? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. In verse eight, he says, you must put them all away. Now, from both of these verses, you could get the idea that Paul is talking about current sin in the body of the church. But then, if you look at verse 7 and 9, it seems that he seems to say something else. What does he say in verse 7? In these you too once walked, talking about the sins, the offenses, when you were living in them. And then what does he say in verse 9? Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices so these verses make it sound as if the church was not practicing the sins that paul is men- mentioning so which is it paul well i think it it's it's reasonable to conclude that the church wasn't necessarily partaking in these sins, actually uh, practicing these sins as described. I think it could be similar to what Paul does in, 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 verse, in, in Romans chapter five and six. When, when he says in, at the beginning of chapter six, uh, after talking about the glorious life in Christ, very similar for how he did in, in Colossians three, verse one to four, he then says at six one, are we to sin that grace may, may abound? And what does Paul say? By no means, absolutely not. And then in verse 12, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So even though this may be past sin, Paul is urging them to put to death. Speaks of the nature of sin. How I think sin's lurking, the need for continuous attention it's easy to think, that will never happen to me. It's easy to think, oh, I've, I've graduated from this really serious sins. Ah, I, I just falter in little areas now. I'll never commit that sin. <sighs> Have you ever thought that before? I know in my own heart and blindness, at times I thought, Wow. I, I'm glad I'm okay. I'll never be there. Oh, save for the grace of God. It's a reason why in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says to uh, brothers who are actually going to help restore another brother who has fallen, he says to them, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But then he gives them an exhortation. He says, Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. There's this reality where all of us, there is this temptation that can come. And so none of us are above this temptation save by the grace of God. And Paul is giving us a warning, I think. He's giving us a warning that the biggest lie that we could ever think was this can never happen to me. So not only is sin lurking, but I think we should understand that the fight against sin is continuous. The fight against sin is continuous. It's interesting that he says in verse 5 put to death. And then he, Paul testifies in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 31 he says I die daily. There was this continuous fight that Paul was engaging in. And as John Owen says in his writings called the mortification of sin he says Make it your daily work. Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. One of C.S. Lewis's arguably greatest works is a book entitled The Screwtape Letters. If you've never read it, I commend the book to you. And Lewis is writing this allegorical fictitious book during the time of World War II. He actually released, uh, it, it's, a, it's a, 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 a imaginary letters, 31 imaginary letters written by Screwtape, who is a high-level demon, to his nephew Wormwood, who was assigned to lead the patient, a, a Christian, astray, away from the Lord. It's interesting that actually uh, C.S. Lewis um, Released these letters during World War II, and so there's much allusion and actually reference to the the war that's taking place, and in and over all these 31 le, le, uh, letters, there is this constant theme of attempts to um, for wormwood to distract and tempt and lead the patient or cr- the Christian away from the Lord, and he does this. By distracting by friends, luring away by materialism, tempting by sexual uh, relationships, developing a heart of religious pride in the Christian, or he actually uses fear as a distractor. That's the fear of the great war happening. And do you know when the attempts to draw the Christian away from God end in the book? Chapter 31 when the Christian's killed in an air raid. As the Christian goes to heaven, Wormwood is seen as being a failure. The fight we fight, the race we run, it is continuous. And may your guard be up as we seek to know how to put sin to death We've looked at the nature of sin, but also it's important to look at how we must respond decisively to sin. How do we respond to, uh, definitively to sin? Excuse me. Well, first of all, we see that, that uh, sin from God's perspective. We see the sin from God's perspective. What, is, what does he say in chapter 3, verse 6? He says this, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. How does God view my sin? How how does God view what I'm doing? It's easy to be consumed with how someone else might view my sin. It's easy to be consumed by how someone else might respond to my sin, how someone else will be impacted by my sin. But how does God view my sin? What does actually God say about this? God's response to these sins is anger. Why? Because the idolatrous desires of the heart dethrone the Lord so that we become worshipers of something else that is, is, is contrary, something else that is, is, is counter, a fraud. So the Bible's very clear that viewing sin properly requires me to understand how God views my sin and then as a follower of Jesus Christ is to adopt that same view. That's the very nature of confessing, agreeing with God about how he views sin. But not only do we see sin from God's perspective, but we admit sin, sin. We admit sin is sin. He, Paul, names the sins very clearly. He doesn't really beat around the bush. Isn't it true that our society has this half-hearted view of sin? We are much more comfortable describing sin as a mistake, an indiscretion, a a lapse in judgment. And when we come, uh, when we downplay sin, it's actually a clever way to hide from God to actually say, actually, my sin really isn't that bad, and so am I really worth the, the judgment of God? And, and actually, I can kind of sidestep it, because it wasn't actually, I mean, is it actually an offense towards God? And it's interesting, not only do we, do we try to downplay what sin actually is, but we actually try to downplay the effects of sin. And so questions of, of, of hell are of great concern. that, uh, Hell doesn't exist, some may say. Why the wrath of God is against sin. And so, so often we have to admit that sin is sin. We recognize how God views that sin. And that is so pivotal to, pivotal to moving forward as we repent and respond to sin correctly. You know, it isn't something that we can say, you know, you know, just a few years ago as we... As we a scrutinizer society. This isn't something that just propped up in the last fifty years. This is something that has part of our Adamic nature. The reality that we are born into Adam, we want to hide. And we saw this reality of Adam and Eve, and how two people hid from God, and shifting the responsibility of sin from one person to the next. When we view sin, that God the way God does, we turn in humility and we say, oh God, I have sinned against you and you alone. Oh God, forgive me. I have sinned against you. Number three, our action is decisive. Our action's decisive Paul says, put to death, put them away. N.T. Wright in his commentary on Colossians said this, to put something to death means you must cut off its lines of supply. It's futile and self-deceiving to bemoan one's inability to resist the last stage of a temptation when earlier stages have gone unnoticed or even eagerly welcomed. He's saying, cut it off. Don't make any provision for the flesh. And part of that means know yourself. You know what is a a reality probably for all of us? Is in order knowing yourself, some people might be able to do things differently than you. Let me give you just a, a, a very simple illustration. It might mean that some people can have a Facebook account, and they're able to go and, and post stuff, and it's wonderful, or uh, uh, you know, a, a social media account, and they have no struggles with the flesh. No problem. But there might be someone else, when they get on a social media platform, there's something inside of their hearts that is activated. Maybe it's covetousness. Man, their life is so better than mine. My life stinks. Man, I wish, you know, they've got the good life, man. And there's seeds of discontentment that are sown in your heart and they, they flourish. And what comes out is there's a root of bitterness that's springing up and trouble you. And so maybe for you, you have to say, you know what, I just, I can't do that. My flesh, cut it off. Cut it off. Do what you need to do. To cut it off, make no provision for the flesh, put it to death. In our culture today, we're very aware of a company called Nike. The Greek mythology, Nike was the goddess of victory. Even the Greek word for, uh, for, for victory is Nike. And what is the slogan for Nike? Just. It is a rallying cry for those that want to encapsulate victory on the athletic field. But when we move it to the spiritual field, just do it. Put it to death. And then finally of this section, our action is radical. Our action is radical. Jesus metaphorically describes our response to temptation. In Matthew 18, he says, if your hand, your foot causes you to offend sin, cut it off. We talked about that. You know, as we answer the the question how to put sin to death, we've looked at the keys of know the nature of sin, respond definitively with sin. But being a Christian is not only about what we remove from our lives. Let me say that one more time. Being a Christian is not only about what we remove from our lives. I think sometimes we can think that the new life in Christ is actually found completely by only removing sin from our lives. We seem to think that if I get the sin out of me, then I will be okay. I think Paul demonstrates something in Ephesians 4 that's different. Could you turn there with me very quickly? Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians 4. In verse 22, he actually begins to use language that's very similar to what we see in Colossians 3. Put off your old self, then to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and, and to put on the new self. And he says in verse 25, the implications of all those things, he says, therefore, therefore. He says, put away falsehood. And then, the result of putting away falsehood is actually speak truth. And then go down to verse 28. He says, don't steal. And what what do we put on instead of don't stealing? Work and give to others. You know, I, I would think don't steal would be actually ample. But Paul actually says, no, the what to put on is not just stop stealing. The, what actually you put on is something totally different. Get a job, start working, and actually give to others. That is, this new, that is a sign of something transformational. Put away falsehood, speak truth. It's not just stop speaking. It's actually use your words to speak truth to other people. And then verse 29, Don't tear people down with your words. Instead, build them up. It's not just stop speaking. Actually use your words to build others up. Verse 31 and 32, don't be bitter. Actually, be kind. Do something actually on the other side of the spectrum. Move transformationally. Move, put on something other than bitterness. It's kindness. And so, so often we think, oh, don't be bitter. Don't steal. Don't tear people down. But actually, there's something transformational that the Spirit of God wants to do in us, alive in us, illuminate inequalities in our lives that are only from the Lord. And so, as we come back to Colossians 3, we, set, we see that to borrow the words from a, a, a Marshall Siegel, he's a writer, on this passage, he said, we cannot follow Christ without putting something off. But that doesn't mean following Christ is only about what we put off. We remember from Colossians 2, the Colossi believers had this strong emphasis of asceticism. I think it could be argued, man, they had a robust ability to put off. But Paul says, put on. Put on, and what does he talk about putting on? Well, he's gonna get into that in verses 12, 13, and 14 in these qualities, and then he's gonna say, be rooted in the word and sing uh, uh, songs and hymns and spiritual songs, but he gives us this quick picture in verse 10. He gives us this quick picture in verse 10, and he says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. Let me just finish very, very briefly. Have you ever watched one of those home renovation shows? We love watching those as a family. My two boys, three and five, they always give their opinion about the homes. It's very intriguing and very enlightening. And I'm always so amazed that a designer of those homes can go into the home and they know exactly what they want to do. They know how to make it beautiful. I'm like, I go in, the man, there's no hope for this home. It is horrific. Demolish it. Get a bulldozer. But the designer goes in and they are able to, to recreate something in the space that was there that is beautiful and functional and wonderful. And that home might be out of date. It might be in disrepairs, But months go by. They show the home to the family. And the result is mind-blowing. And very simply, we as Christians, we're in a renovation process. We are, and there's this master designer and he is doing a recreation in you. He's actually renewing you. And as we look to Christ through the study of his word and we see the spirit enabling life of Christ in the gospels, we see this massive differences of how he lives his life and how we can live our lives at times. We see how Christ warmly ministered to sinners. We see how he openly cared for the poor. We see how he patiently taught his disciples. We see how he understandably uh, asked questions to probe the heart. We see how he rebuked inauthentic religious community. We look at Christ, we read the word, we see the transformation. I think some of you, maybe you wonder, is there really a renovation process happening? 2 Corinthians 4.16, if you're united with Christ, says this, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And in Philippians 1.6, Paul gives this warm promise that he which has begun a good work in you will not abandon it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete it. And so Jesus is doing a work in you. And Jesus is doing a work in me. And as we come to the Word in your private time, maybe you listen to uh, the, the Bible as you're going to work, maybe you read it in the mornings, maybe you read it in the evenings, as you read other uh, 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 Christian books and, and you're taking in the Word, there is this transformation that is going from the, 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 the old reality to something beautiful. So this might be helpful for a few people today. It might be helpful for those who you are struggling with sin. And maybe you need to be reminded of the nature of sin, the fight, it's continuous. And and maybe the the very reality that you've been fighting has actually been a a guilt for you, wondering why can't I overcome this? It's it's the reality that we are fighting. This is a battle. This is why Paul talked in, in Ephesians about putting on the armor of God. And so this morning, maybe I pray it's been helpful that you have this hopeful reality to what it means to be renewed. Or maybe this morning you've been helped to rethink about, if someone asks me the question, how do I overcome my sin? What do I say to them? What do I say to them? And I hope this morning this has been helpful And we all cherish the reality that God is doing something in our lives. And maybe you can't see it. Maybe you're wondering if it's really happening. But if you are united with Christ, if you've died with Christ, if you are in Christ, then he is doing something in you. And you can take that rich promise home with you today. Let us pray, and then the worship team is gonna come and lead us in one song, in Christ alone. And this is our hope. This is our foundation. It is in Christ alone that we have been united with him, and it is because of our union with him that we can put off and put on these glorious realities. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you, this morning, will use your word in different ways. Your spirit will apply it to, to hearts and different avenues. And God, I pray that you administer to grace those who are feeling pummeled by sin, that they would actually take hope from what they heard this morning. Father, I pray that there might be some that are, are, are even thinking, how can I administer this in someone's life? I pray that you would give them grace as they do that as well. In the name of Christ, we pray all these things. Amen.